Hello. Hello. Hello, and welcome to Grace Online. We're really excited for you to be able to receive an encouraging word from Scripture today. Because we know that God is already here, and He is ready to be with you. And let's get ready to hear today's message. Last week I talked about uh, Megan and I hoping to go to Disney, and I guess I'm in a summer traveling mood, um, and I've been thinking about travel a lot. Um, Megan and I, uh, ever since before we were married, and then even in our marriage, we love to travel. Um, And before we had kids, we experienced just so many amazing and unique places together. And now that we have kids... Our traveling has slowed down a bit, um, but it's not because we don't still want to see amazing places, right? It's because kids make the hardest parts of traveling even harder. And you know what the hardest part of traveling is, right? It's the whole getting to the other place part. You know, the traveling part of traveling is harder when you have kids, right? It's, It's the packing. It's the double checking, the triple checking that you have everything you need making sure that you've got enough changes of clothes, making sure you got your ID and your boarding pass, making sure you've got all the medications you need, making sure you've got all the chargers and the cables you need. And then you get to the airport, and you got to make sure to keep everyone together while also partially undressing so that you can have your shoes, your hat, your belt, your jacket, and anything else that's in your pockets go through the x-ray machine. And then you have to figure out how to find the tiny little shoes that they make for little children. And you go, how do I get these back on this child? And then you might have forgotten that you have to take out your laptop or maybe your CPAP machine. And so your meticulously packed bag needs to be opened and then repacked. Is this triggering anyone else's anxiety? I mean, have you experienced some of the joys of traveling with kids? It causes you to become a control freak, right? Doesn't it? You're always checking. You're always double-checking making sure everyone else is doing what they're supposed to do, and even peeking over the shoulder of your spouse to make sure they're doing what they're supposed to do because they were put in charge of something, but you got to make sure that they're doing the part that you put them in charge of. You guys don't act that way in stress. It's just me who becomes this control freak. Okay, fine. All right. (laughs) True confessions, I guess. I can remember uh, one of the last trips that Megan and I did before we had kids, And it was actually very different than what I just described. Um, It was actually a great example of each of us taking ownership of different things and then trusting the other person with their part. See, Megan took ownership of the packing and ensuring that we had everything taken care of at home. And I was in charge of the plane flights and the rental car and the maps. And it was interesting now that I look back on it because we both had to depend on each other for their part. Because I had forgotten to double-check with Megan to make sure that she had packed, you know, simple meds like Flonase and stuff. And so I was really just depending on her to be able to provide for what we needed for the trip. And likewise, Megan had fully let me handle the travel arrangements, and so she had to depend on me as we navigated the airport, made it to the right gate, and then figure out where our rental car was when we landed. And we each got a chance to depend on the other while they were leading on the different areas. And it definitely wasn't always easy, and there were definitely times when our trust and our dependence on each other was tested because of things going differently than we had expected. But for the most part, we learned dependence in a new way. Now, today's Jesus story is going to be about learning how to depend on God instead of putting our trust in our own ability 
to provide for ourselves, specifically in the instances when we're sent out to share the good news of Jesus. But before we read it, though, I want to point out that this passage is not Jesus' instructions for all disciples across all of time. But it is his instructions to his first disciples. So we can read it and learn from what he said to them in this instance to understand a few things. First, we're going to see what Jesus thought was important for his followers to do as they were sent out. And second, we're going to see what he felt was most important for them to learn as they went. So let's read together Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. It reads, When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave them as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead. Others were saying Elijah had appeared, and still others, that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, even though this is a short passage, it's full of insights directly from Jesus on what he's looking for as he sends out those who follow him to do the work that he's called them to do. And so when we read it, we can learn so much about how Jesus still equips us today for the work he's calling us to. Our first few verses hit us with a statement that's it's dense with big words, okay? Let's just read it again. It says, when Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and cure diseases, and he sent them out to preach or to proclaim the word of God and to heal the sick. See, I wanted to understand better what these words meant, so I had to look them up in Greek language software. So let me share with you what I found out. Jesus called together the twelve. It's not just happenstance. They weren't just walking together one day, and then Jesus gave them some small orders and sent them out. This is an event. He has summoned them and then willed them to go on a mission for him. So he gives them power and authority. See, the Greek words there for power and authority can also be translated as giving them capability and the right to command. So Jesus gave them the capability and the right to command the demons and to cure diseases. See, the Greek word for demon is literally just unclean spirit. It's used to describe any malignant force or evil presence or mental condition that can't be treated with the medicine of the day. It takes more than bandages and balm. The word, so that's what demon is, and the word for diseases refers to physical maladies. So Jesus is giving them power and authority, the capability and the right to control both physical illnesses and non-physical illnesses. 
And it seems like to Jesus there's no difference between the two. Both are just setting people free from bondage that they're experiencing. It lines up with what Jesus said he was sent to do to set the captives free. And then he sends out his disciples and tells them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. See, looking at the Greek again, he sends them out to proclaim aloud the kingship of God and to restore to health those who are sick. He sends them to declare and to bring deliverance. So now we're two verses in, and we already have to stop and ask, who is this Jesus who is able to transfer this kind of divine power to his followers so that they can use it? I mean, I understand Jesus being able to heal people and cast out demons and restore people from the ravages of mental conditions. And we've spent the last few months looking at stories where Jesus did just that, right? He's gone around healing and restoring and then declaring the kingdom of God that he is the one that's bringing redemption for all of God's people. But as far back as chapter 5, with Jesus calling the first disciples, we see that his plan all along has been to invite and include others into his mission. And this time around, he's sending out the 12 on their own. But we know that his plan involves that his disciples would create disciples of their own who are also disciple makers. Because in the very next chapter, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is going to be sending out 72. And then at the end of his ministry, there's going to be 150 people waiting for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's going to keep growing from there because followers of Jesus are people who help others learn how to follow Jesus, even as we are still in process of learning ourselves. So, he's given them power and authority to heal. And he sent them out with instructions to proclaim and heal. And then he tells them how he expects them to follow his instructions. He says, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. See, these would have been very common things for people to bring on a journey, right? It's the things you pack when you're going on a long journey. But Jesus explicitly tells his disciples not to bring them. He's sending them into mission with a calculated deficit. He's doing this to help them remember, or maybe learn for the first time, that they are prepared for mission only by depending on him. He's saying, don't prepare as if you're providing for yourself. Don't pack as if you lack. I've given you everything you need. It's hard to trust Jesus. Like that, right? Like it's hard to go, oh, I'm just going to trust him with everything I need. Because we're so used to providing for ourselves, aren't we? Because they're so used to bringing extra things along that we think we need. I mean, just go back to the idea of the trip that we started our time with together, right? Like, don't we always bring too much when we pack for a trip? I saw a, a, a funny thing on, I think it was a tweet or something that said, this person's like, when I'm at home, I use the same three items every single day. When I get ready for a trip, I'm trying to figure out if I should bring four or five French horns. And it's like, oh, man, yeah. Or like if you have kids or when you remember back to when you had kids, you, you overpack for the kids just in case, right? 
just in case we need 17 outfits and 300 diapers for this afternoon outing. We bring extra underwear and socks just in case we, I don't know, fall in an icy river or something? Like, I mean, maybe you're the person that doesn't bring extra stuff, but you bring extra space. You know, just in case you find something cool to buy on your trip, right? As if we don't have enough little trinkets already. Or maybe you're the person that says, no, I pack light, but I couldn't live without my Kindle or without my phone or without my Ray-Ban sunglasses. I actually asked this question on Facebook last week of saying, what are some travel essentials? I got some great responses, and uh, here's some of the things that some of you all said. Um, I asked, well, what are some travel essentials that you cannot leave the house without or cannot go on a trip without? And here's some of the, the things. Phone charger, very important. Medicine, your spouse. Don't go on a trip without your spouse. I think, I think those people have a spouse like mine who uh, really carries the, the weight of the packing, and I wouldn't be able to do it without her. Some more travel essentials are glasses, something to read. Both those go together, I think. A CPAP machine, a travel bidet. You learn something new. Man, I, I didn't even realize that I needed to add this to my travel essentials. Earplugs, I'm sure those are for the people who have CPAP machines. Um, Advil, duct tape. Don't travel without duct tape. You, you, I guess you'll regret it. And last but not least, another travel essential, snacks. See, these are the things that we pack for a trip. We load up on the things that we might need just in case. And, and I do this too. Like, honestly, I really do. When Megan and I went on a cruise with the kids at the beginning of summer, back in May, um, Megan was a rock star with the packing. She got everything, like, I think she had one bag for the kids, but we still had to bring all the clothes, all the sunscreen, the extra clothes, the diapers, more diapers, the snacks, the formula, the white noise machine, the toys and activities, the stuffed animals, the pajamas, and the shoes. And that was just for the kids. But contrast that with one of the first trips I ever took with Megan. Um, we were both serving on a music team. This is even before we were married. Uh, we were serving on a music team for the National Youth Gathering in San Antonio. And I had just a, a single backpack. And Megan had a, a suitcase that, no kidding, was about this big. You know, it was a cute little blue vintage suitcase. And that's what we packed for the whole week. Man, what a beautiful thing. And so it's natural for us to see why we think that we need extra stuff, even when Jesus calls us to join him on mission out in our everyday lives. I mean, maybe I should just bring these, these tracks with the four spiritual laws on them. That way, I don't have to think about what to say, right? I can just hand over a piece of paper and let it talk about Jesus. Or, or maybe I need to bring a business card with the church's info so that I don't really need to get into detail about Jesus, but I can hope that they come to a church and talk to the pastor about it. See, the thing is that I don't think Jesus thinks being prepared for having stuff is bad. Like, I don't think Jesus is saying it's bad to be prepared. But he's clearly showing us that, his, that he wants his disciples to learn how to trust him to provide for what they need when they're sent on mission. He's already given them everything they need to share the good news and to heal hurts. 
This reminds me of the story from the Old Testament about David before he was king, when he was still the shepherd boy. It's when, right before David is about to fight Goliath, right? Saul was king. Israel's facing off against the Philistines. Goliath is challenging them to a duel. And so when David volunteers, Saul tries to outfit him with the royal armor. Do you remember this story? The problem is that it's too big and cumbersome. Sure, I mean, it would offer protection, but it would also limit David's ability to move well. See, how often do we overburden our efforts in following Jesus' command and end up rendering ourselves less effective, less free to follow where Jesus leads? Oh, I can't bring up Jesus in this conversation right now because I haven't prepared what I'm going to say. Oh, I, I can't offer to pray for this person right here, right now, because I usually bring prayers back to the prayer chain at church. But Jesus has already given you everything you need to share the good news and heal hurts. See, Jesus wants his first disciples to learn dependence on him. So Jesus speaks negatively in reference to things. You don't need stuff. No bag, no money, no tunic, right? You don't need stuff on your mission to fill up your feeling of lack. But he speaks positively in reference to relationship. He says, but whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. Now, this is referring to the custom of hospitality. It was very common in that time, in that area. If travelers came into a town or a village... Someone would usually invite them over to share a bite and to rest from the trip. So Jesus' command to stay there is to stop his disciples from traveling from house to house in a town in search of better accommodations. They are there to heal sickness and proclaim the kingship of Jesus. So the last thing they should be doing is leaving the impression that they just want to use the people who are welcoming them in, right? And so when we are receiving hospitality— it means that we're assuming the position of a grateful guest. So if we're to callously just move onward and upward, that would disrespect the gracious hospitality that the hosts are sharing with you. So with Jesus talking to his, his disciples, having them stay in one house while they're in town, it's also another way that Jesus is teaching them to trust in him as their provider rather than letting them be constantly anxiously looking around to provide for themselves. Stay, trust, heal, and proclaim. I mean, maybe one way that we could see this apply for us today is as an instruction to go deep with a few people when we join Jesus on mission in our everyday lives. See, our American sensibility is that bigger is better, and faster is better, and more is better. So that would lead us to believe that if, if we're to follow Jesus well, well, then we had better tell as many people as possible, right? We want to tell them about Jesus. We'd better spread the message wide over a whole group. But that's not actually the way that Jesus modeled it himself. And that's not the way he taught his first disciples either. Whatever house you enter, stay there. Whatever door to relationship that I open for you, go deep. Stay there. Linger in love. Don't always be rushing. Stick around. Look around. Ask around. Look for where God is already at work, where God has already helped you build a bridge with someone, where God has already opened a door, 
and just compassionately and lovingly be present to offer whatever good news that Jesus wants to declare in that place or with that person. See, this can be hard for us because we usually either let fear quiet us and keep us from helping and sharing good news, or we go in with guns blazing, right, thinking that, well, we're supposed to coerce or force some reaction. See, if it's fear that's holding us back, it's because we feel like we're not ready. We're not prepared. So if we do try and share some good news, we just zoom in for a quick moment of sharing before returning home to our safe environment. But if we're going with guns blazing, it's because we think we're supposed to elicit some decision, right? Have they, been, have they made a decision for Christ? Do they pray the prayer? We think that they're supposed to show some change, and if we don't see the change, then we haven't done enough yet. So we follow Jesus' call, but we add on our own effort. We add on our own expectation of the outcomes. But when Jesus sent out his disciples, he gave them what they needed, power and authority. He gave them a direction to go, and he gave them the availability to just receive hospitality from others. Stay there. Go deep. Follow the small opportunities for relationship and conversation, trusting that I have given you everything you need to share the good news and heal hurts. And then Jesus gives them one last thing, discernment. He says, if people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. See, this was a common practice for Jewish travelers if they ever found themselves going through Gentile areas. They would shake the dust off their feet as they left the area as a sign that the area was not following the one true God and would be recipients of God's judgment. So Jesus takes this command, takes this common ritual, and just turns it around to not only be about whether or not a place is ethnically Jewish, but about whether or not a place is willing to receive the good news of the kingdom of God as found in Jesus. See, if you're not warned that something bad is coming, you might not change your path. If you're comfortable in your life and you don't realize that it's headed towards hurt and brokenness, you might not accept an invitation to a different way of life. No, I'm comfortable. This is fine. So when Jesus' first disciples get no response to their message of the kingdom of God, they're told to leave and announce that rejection of their message means a rejection of Jesus. But when I think of this command in today's context, the tradition of, of shaking the dust off your feet during a journey doesn't really connect with our lives today. But I see a different angle that carries the same weight and warning, but not for the towns that we might visit. It carries that for us. See, perhaps when you listen to these instructions of Jesus, you begin to feel the weight and the burden of reaching people for Christ. Maybe you begin to feel a heaviness on your shoulders, thinking that, well, I've got to share the good news. Otherwise, people might not know about Jesus, and I'm just going to carry that guilt around with me everywhere I go. 
But Jesus knows that not every interaction we have with those who don't know him yet will be immediately easy and open. Jesus knows that people will reject his message. Jesus knows that doors will be closed to us. So he says, shake the dust off your feet. Don't even take the dust with you as you continue on your journey. Don't carry the guilt of not being welcomed. Don't carry the guilt of failure because I have not given that to you to carry. Jesus has already given us everything we need to share the good news and to heal hurts, but he's not given us the weight of doing it on our own. He has not given us the task to be the Savior for others. He's not given us the burden of being what people need. Shake off that dust. Because for many people, I mean, let's be honest, dust, it just causes allergies, right? But some of us are so, we're so dependent on how others view us that we're just covered in the dust of the past. We're unable to move forward to where God's calling us without causing an allergic reaction for all those we're with. We're covered in the past, and it affects our current relationships. So we're bringing our past hurts and regrets with us, and then we're imposing those expectations on these new opportunities. But Jesus gives us authority and power to share the good news and heal hurts. He doesn't give us expectation and regret to burden others with. Shake off that dust. If there isn't an open door to a relationship, just keep moving on. Keep looking for where the Holy Spirit is at work ahead of you. Look for where the Holy Spirit is opening up a new opportunity. Shake off that dust. I mean, even if you've been trying with that person for a while, shake off that dust. Not carrying a sense of guilt and move on to where God is calling you next. And maybe this is just my own personality. That's, I mean, honest, honest moment here. Maybe I'm just imposing this on the text. Very possible. But I don't think that the, I don't think that I have to proclaim judgment on people. I don't think I have to proclaim judgment on anyone who rejects me or chooses not to be open to the message of Jesus, because I don't know how God will continue to work in their heart in the future through others. So I can pray for them, I can bless them, and then I can entrust them to God and then move on with my eyes open to where God might be opening the next door to healing and relationship. I have this sometimes with members of my family. I don't know if you have this too. There's people that we've been praying for and trying, and the door is just closed from their side. And if I truly trust that God wants the best for them, even more than I do, then sometimes I need to entrust them to God and see, okay, God, where are you opening a door to opportunity? And just keep praying for them and keep blessing them. But that's going to take trust because Jesus has already given me everything I need for the mission that he's calling me to. And that's how I learn to continue to depend on him. I can learn how to trust him, not only to provide for me, but I can learn to trust that he loves all these people that I'm sent to more than I ever will, that he's going to keep pursuing them just like 
he has never stopped pursuing me. And so the disciples set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. Jesus had given them everything they needed, and they gave away what they had, and they gave it to others. They gave healing and restoration. They gave the good news that Jesus is king. They told everyone Jesus' reign represented the inbreaking of the presence of God. Jesus being in charge means that God's saving activity was at work. It was the good news that the reign of God would bring liberty from everything keeping us in bondage. The realm of where God was, well, it's here now. And everyone who wants to accept it can begin to, to live in the new reality of freedom, of restoration, of generosity and wholeness. And isn't that good news? Like, is, is that the good news that we are declaring to others? Are we sharing with others the good news that God's reign in our lives actually frees us from the bondage of greed and the hunger for power? Are we sharing about how God's never-ending provision is teaching us that we can be, fear from fe we can be free from fear and anxiety? Because honestly, if Jesus is truly king, and if he is the good shepherd that he says he is, then we don't have to be in control because we can trust that God is great. He's sovereign over everything and is working towards his mission of restoration and healing. See, if Jesus is truly God, then we don't need to fear others or fear their opinion of us because God is glorious. He is more weighty than anything else in the world. And his opinion of us is that we are beloved and cherished and made on purpose for a purpose. See, if Jesus is able to provide for us, then we don't need to look elsewhere to provide for ourselves. We don't need to satiate ourselves with things that will not satisfy because God is good and he gives good gifts that are truly everything we need for the mission that he's called us to. If Jesus is truly our Savior, then we don't need to prove ourselves with our own effort or knowledge or works because God is gracious. He's proven that time and time again, even though we continue to turn from him, he continually offers us his grace and forgiveness as a free gift so that we can receive it and be changed by it. Isn't that good news? See, that's the type of news that we get to share with those around us. In fact, this news is so good, and the effect that the disciples had in, in their mission was so great that even Herod, the cold-hearted killer, was intrigued and drawn in by the stories that he heard. See, and you might be thinking that I'm going to encourage you to go out and share the good news of Jesus based on what we're learning today. But that's only half true. Because Jesus himself often modeled helping first. And only then pointing to the good news of the kingdom of God as the explanation for why he was being so compassionate. 
And we've got to remember that he sent out his first disciples to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. We can't forget that sharing the good news of Jesus often requires serving people as well as preaching to them. See, one theologian said it simply. He said, telling unbelievers that God cares should be reinforced by the evidence of such caring. Jesus' brother James gets at this idea when he tells the early church that simply saying to someone in need, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Acts of caring reinforce the claim that God cares. Acts of service put flesh and blood on the claim that Jesus loves them. So here's what I suggest you do in response to what God might be saying to you today. Find one hurt that you can help to heal this month. Find one hurt that you can help to heal. See, to share the good news of Jesus, we can start with service. So we get to listen when people are talking. We get to look for a hurt that someone might be experiencing. And when you find that hurt, you ask God, well, how are you calling me to help? Maybe there's some way that you can serve them. Maybe you can help in some way. Maybe you can offer a listening ear. Maybe you can offer words of love. Maybe you can help to heal the hurt in some way. So then you get to offer healing in compassion and love. No strings attached. And chances are, they might ask you why you're doing it. And that's when you can give an answer, sharing the good news of Jesus, of his love and grace. There's this uh, one time when I was able to do this. Um, I don't share the story in order for you to think more highly of me. Um, but I, I, I think it's a good example, and so I want to share it with you anyways. Um, I think it's a good example of God opening a door, and I just got to walk through it. And by walking through that door, not only did I help someone else, but honestly, it increased my faith in God, um, that he's the one who creates these opportunities and invites us to be a part of the, the healing of those around us. So I was fresh out of college. I was living in Santa Ana at the time, and um, it wasn't a great part of Santa Ana. And my local grocery store was a food for less, um, and there's usually some uh, lots of different people hanging out in the parking lot of that grocery store all times of the day. Uh, people who looked like they were coming to and fro. People who looked like maybe they had been uh, living on the streets for a while. Um, and one day I was walking up uh, to go grocery shopping to get some things. And a man who looked like he had been living on the street for quite a long time approached me and said, Hey, can I have some money so I can go get a burger at that McDonald's over there? And unfortunately, I didn't have any cash. But for some reason... I just felt something inside me say, invite him to go grocery shopping with you. And so I swallowed hard, and I said, I don't have any cash, but uh, do you want to come grocery shopping with me? I'll, I'll get you some stuff. And he just looked at me and went, really? And I was like, yeah, come on, let's go. And so we went over and got a cart, and then me and this gentleman started walking through the grocery store together and you know, up and down all the aisles and getting things uh, for him and for me, um, and he was getting lots of things, uh, canned things and uh, dry goods that don't need a stove or a refrigerator. I mean, he was 
you know, getting some, I said, get some stuff for a couple, you know, a couple days, like not just like one little snack right day, whatever. And so then and the whole time he's asking me, why are you doing this? And at first I, I just said, well, I just wanted to be nice. And then he kept going, apparently that wasn't a satisfactory answer. And so he kept being like, yeah, but why are you doing this though? And so finally it's just like, I mean, I believe in God and I think that God blesses us so that we can be a blessing. Like, that's how God takes care of us sometimes, is through other people. And we actually get to be a blessing when he blesses us. So I just, I've been blessed, and I want to be able to bless you too, because God loves you. And he went, oh, okay. But why are you doing this? <laughs> and so I got to share that same answer, that God loves him and wants to bless him, probably four or five times in a row in that store. And so then we bought the items, and honestly, it was, it was a miracle. I think God uh, gave those words. I think it was a miracle that God stopped the workers of the grocery store from kicking us out, because uh, we were quite the pair, let me tell you. Um, and, and, and then uh, got his bagged things and, you know, bade him a, a, a good day, and I went back to that grocery store for the rest of that year, and I never saw him again. But... Um, yeah, and, and honestly, I mean, when I think about it, I, I can't exactly remember the exact words I said. Is It was 10 years ago. Um, and I don't tell that story so that you can think that I'm something great. I want you to notice that God brought that guy up to me at just the right time. God prompted my heart. God opened up the guy to accept that offer. And God use that story in my life to show how he can use us in small and simple ways to join him on mission. And so that's why I'm encouraging you to find one hurt that you can help to heal this month. See, just because the disciples had miraculous feats of healing and casting out demons doesn't mean that that's required of us in order to share the good news of Jesus. The key is the combination of compassion and the message of Jesus' goodness. The disciples healed and got to proclaim the gospel. And so we can do the same. We can look for one hurt to heal and then just offer the help in compassion. And when we're asked, we get to answer about our King Jesus. And then when you do it, bonus points here or bonus step, share that story with someone that you trust. Honestly, Give glory to God for the chance that you got to take part in his mission. But honestly, share the story because you're going to be amazed at how following God's opportunities and then sharing testimony about them, it's going to increase your faith. It's going to increase the faith of the person that you're telling. And God uses that growing faith to send out more people on mission in their everyday lives. I mean, just imagine what our church would be like if each of us committed to helping someone else in a small way that healed a hurt. Like, what would it be like if, if we were to keep our eyes open for opportunities from God to share compassion and love? And then, what if we got to share those stories with each other? I mean, wouldn't that just cause all of us to be amazed at how God can use our small acts of obedience to create enormous change in the lives of others and in our lives as well? See, God is inviting us to join him on mission every single day in the areas that we already spend time in, with the people that we already see. And he's already given us everything we need to share the good news and heal hurts. So let's do it, church. 
Our God is ahead of us, preparing the way, opening doors relationship, and empowering us with the power and authority to carry out his plans. Isn't that good news? If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Thank you.